You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. This is The Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld. My guest today, of course, Lorena Russi. Thank you for being here, Lorena. Thanks, Louis. It's also pronounced Lorena. <sighs> oh, no. You want to take that again? This is the magnet. Well, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. (laughs) It's like everyone, because everyone, there's like three versions to my name. So it really messes everyone up because there's Lorena, which is like what my closer friends call me. Yeah. Lorena, which is general population. And then Lorena, which Which is is what people like me call you. Right. And the diehard Lorena Bobbitt fans, which they're out there. Yes, they are. They are. Yeah. But if you want to take it again, whatever you want. Well, (laughs) it's true though. It's really a thing. It's. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, I well, yeah, I get mispronunciation with my name all the time too. Do they call you Louie? Call me Louie. They call me. They mispronounce my last name most of the time. Okay. But I don't correct. Are you okay? Are you doing okay? I don't care. It's fine. See, I think there's a lot of strength in names, and I'm also very into identities and like belonging to Uh tribes. Yeah. My sister doesn't agree. She's like, just you know, get with the program. Yeah. But I also always say that she is she's more white passing than me. And I, because my name, I think her name's Erica. Yeah. So she also does stuff with the magnet. Keep your eyes peeled. I've seen her. I've seen yeah. the two yeah, of she's you perform a, together. She, right. She's the hetero version of me. <laughs> so boys, if you're out there. <laughs> um, yeah. So she, she's like uh, blue eyes, blonde hair, and her name's Erica. So I remember I went to her for a show and she was, I was like, yeah, you know, we're Colombian. So people were like, Erica's Colombian. No idea. Hmm. No idea. Whereas I think with me, my name, and just my general presence, I'm always dressed like I'm going to summer camp. I think people are kind of like, oh, there's something something off, or she's ethnic. Uh, and, yeah, so people mispronounce my name. Uh, so I get fatootsie about it. But so, it's when people get mad at me. Oh, yeah, right. That changes the whole thing. Of course. Yeah. I put a lot of stock in. I don't give a shit when people mispronounce my name. I rarely yeah. correct anybody. But I also put a lot of stock in. Um, I think that there's significance to a person's name. Yeah, right. I, I think that right. I think that your name does shape your sense of who you are. Right. Um, I think also uh, the most important thing for me is because I'm normally in such straight white spaces mm-hmm. to have something like that. That's such a deep contrast. Mm-hmm. really quickly shows how much people value that or, or or are willing to sort of invalidate my feelings or sort of how I feel I belong to a certain group. So even just you being like, oh, let's do it again. It's like, great, that was easy. That was really simple. Uh, but most people are like, what's the problem? <laughs> you know? Nope. My um, my take on it, that that's on me and not on you. I, that's on like, oh, I'm a fucking dumbass. No, no, know. but that, I don't, so I, that's something like that. I would never be mad at that. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever really been like, hey, this is how you pronounce my name. But it's, I think it's just more about, this happens all the time, endlessly with me. It's what's refreshing is seeing the process go seamlessly. Mm-hmm except for right now, which is me harping on this for 20 minutes, but it's no, kind of like, kind of harping on it too. And <laughs> no, I, we haven't re-recorded and I don't think at this point we're going to. Now. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll just keep interrupting you every time you go, this is a magnet theater. Where yeah. I lost my family. Well, there are like, in terms of that touchiness, I, I, and I don't know who's worse in this, but there are some people who are touchy where it's like, what's your problem? Mm-hmm. And they're just like assholes. And then there are other people who, <laughs> <laughs> that is their that's their response to feeling embarrassment there mm. i think there's some people who just can't handle even like a momentary 
right. ping of embarrassment and they become right. hostile as a way to like fight that off. Right. I mean, that's, uh, frankly, I think that's kind of, you hit the nail on the head. So I quit, um, doing comedy stuff for like a year and a half, two years. And I was focusing more on soccer, but I found that in my improv, I was dealing with a lot of people's subconscious. I mean, always, you're always dealing with that, that is improv, but just sort of things rising to the surface in a way that became really aggressive or, I don't know. I think just being an alpha female that also is masculine centered, there was a lot of like conflict that came about. So there was a lot of, there, for example, there, there would be a lot of scenes with, uh, let's say male improvisers, like physically trying to dominate me in a mm-hmm. scene or do things like that. And it sort of became this thing where it's also about performing like after level six, you kind of are in this weird, uh, like vicious cycle of, Oh, where do I perform with people that are also at a high level and like, you know, kind of want to commit to it because you have that fall off of people that are just like, I never want to do improv again. And then you're trying to uh, improvise with people that are in level one to level three, which is a different uh, type of beast, right? Cause there are people that are first exploring it versus you dealing with your own uh, habits that are now formed and sort of your own style of playing. And uh, ideally at this point, you've kind of figured out what you think is funny and so after level six for me, I was trying to perform with people and I just found that it was, you know, it was just becoming really toxic or every time I'd have a show, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be able to focus on my own work just because I was like, I don't, I don't really trust what's going on on the stage. I don't trust the other performers. So I was just like, I have to stop because it's, a, it's, it was ultimately just affecting everybody. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, I have a bad show and that's it. It would be like, Oh, I have now been pimped into being the lesbian gym teacher. And even though I should just be like, all right, you know, it's fine. great. You know, where, where are my keys? Um, it, it would just be me angry on stage, which is, you know, not necessarily fun to watch. There's a, um, there's an aspect of improvising in the way that most people improvise because you have such a short amount of time to uh-huh. establish uh, what this what this game is going to be about? Yeah, there's a tendency to start with kind of stereotypical images. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, there's a tendency to start a scene where like firefighters are doing firefighter things mm-hmm. and uh, priests are doing priestly things, and so, mm-hmm. um, which I think in and of itself is not necessarily bad. I, I, sure, but what ends up happening is because there's a very we're selecting ideas from the shallow end of the pool to kind of mm. instantly start right. up and, and make it easily accessible what we're doing. Uh-huh. There's a constellation of other related uh, uh, stereotypes that live with those ideas. Right. And uh, a, a pretty healthy swath of people cannot discriminate between them and cannot go deeper than that or right. seem to have no awareness or seem to just don't give a shit about it. And you sure. end up getting all of these either unconsciously hostile uh, uh, um, ideas that they're not mm-hmm. aware of or whatever. But it, right. it's one of the, one of the um, kind of trickier aspects of improvising. Yeah. I mean, I also just want to say improv is hard, right? It's not like you don't see, uh, not everyone does it because it's like, wow, this is so easy and this is great. Like you have to learn in front of people. You have to constantly be embarrassed. Mm -hmm. I mean, which is comedy. You're essentially just, it's a self-deprecating sport in that after a long time, you finally maybe feel a little bit of success. And that high is, I think, what carries you through all the more embarrassing moments or all the learns. And so 
I think when you do that kind of improv where you're just trying to go for the immediate and the, let's say what's blue or what's uh, most satisfying in that moment or on a personal level, what's most satisfying in that moment, it's not necessarily going to feed the scene for the long term. But I think also just, I think I was just becoming people's learns Mm -hmm. in front of people and I was just getting really exhausted by it. You know, I mean, I recently left uh, a comedy show where I felt like, the whole time I was just people, I was pe- explaining things to people that I felt, you know, I don't know what I, like why I was doing this or why I was being put in these situations, you know, that just like inappropriate questions or sort of trying to understand more about, let's say cultural things. Right. You um, become like the go-to person. Right. Right. I mean, and that's, and it's, uh, you know, it's uh people get this all the time, right? People get asked inappropriate questions all the time, but it's when you're the only person there, you're very much the outlier. It becomes, it just becomes really difficult to deal with. So for my improv, I just felt like I just, one looked so different from everyone there on several levels and it just wasn't feeding me anymore emotionally. So I just, it just, yeah, I just left. And I never went back guys. I don't do comedy anymore. Okay. Thank you. This has been the Magnus. <laughs> You've been with Lorena and Louie. <laughs> that would be the funniest 12 minute episode of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, we gotta do this again. Well, I, I agree. Anytime you name a date. <laughs> I, In I, 10 minutes. Uh, I, I, I do want to talk about improv a little bit more before we, yeah. before we kind of, broaden the conversation a little bit because mm. this stuff has been um, kind of floating around my mind a lot recently. Um, <laughs> Lesbians with political agendas. Yeah. Uh-huh. And how it relates to yes. Anding. And uh-huh. game you're saying. Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I think that the word improv gets kind of tossed around as a, as a, a generalization. And I think that we kind of um, are not specific enough about what we mean by it. And mm-hmm. I think that when we're designing shows, we're not specific enough about the purpose of those shows. or We're not thinking enough about the um, way that we are unconsciously uh, uh, communicating expectations to an audience. And 100%. we're channeling the way that they're watching the performance. We're, we're, we're defining their expectations of what's going to work and what's going to stand out as weird. Mm-hmm. So I think that improv kind of lives, there's like a spectrum of improv and on one end of the spectrum, it is more of a kind of sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it, it's more of a kind of like professional wrestling. It's more of a short form kind of mm-hmm. fits there meaning that what you're really watching is not so much the story or the characters. You're really watching the improvisers themselves. Right. Uh, uh, except uh, the challenges that they're being offered and sure. you're kind of uh, cheering or booing or whatever to see like how well the improvisers are doing. Right. So probably like a lot of breaking, a lot of just like having fun on stage. Yeah. But yeah. How, how well are they able to instantly uh, sure. uh, adapt themselves? Then on the far opposite side of the spectrum you have where improv straddles the line closer to something more theatrical where Mm -hmm. it is you're not really you're assuming that these are competent performers you're not really watching their performance you're watching the characters yeah and i think most improv lives somewhere in the middle Mm -hmm. most of the time we're we're kind of watching two shows at once we're kind of watching the characters watching people um 
I think that the way that we treat most of our shows, which is a variation of like team performance, Mm -hmm. we are taught uh, to think sort of theatrically. We're taught to think about how to go deeper into scenes and we're taught to think about points of view and objectives and all that kind of stuff. But the shows that we create are more sport-like shows. We're setting up teams that are going to accept the challenge of your suggestion and are going to win. Mm-hmm. They're going to create comedy instantly. And, um, you right. know, and so I think that it kind of presets everybody into this habit of mind to kind of instantly uh, um, get there. I think this is where a lot of those kind of like stereotype ideas will come from. Mm-hmm. It's just the first thing that's kind of most broadly in, in the cultural mental landscape. That's mm-hmm. what I'm going to grab onto. This is mm-hmm. my idea of, right. of how a cop behaves, or this is my idea of how like whoever behaves. Right. And so we're playing as we're kind of letting the audience know that the way to enjoy this is to see how funny we can be with this role or how funny we right. can be with this. Well, idea. also how well we interact with our own like human suits. Right. right. You know, kind of like, I think uh, just an example, I always think of Alexis. Uh, there was a scene with uh, Chris Rock saying the N word and they were referencing it a lot and they did a callback and she like stepped in and she was like, da, 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 N word. And then went back. She was the only person of color on the stage. And I remember at the time I was writing my senior thesis and I was thinking a lot about how different that scene would have played if one, Alexis was just like, I'm not going to step out Two, if they didn't have a person of color that would have, uh, let's say to like perform that quote unquote. Mm. And then, you know, three, how we have to like, whatever we wear very much um, affects how the audience perceives us and how our own teammates perceive us, you Mm. know? So like if I were to play a cop versus like someone who let's say like, or, you know, like if I'm playing a stereotypical male cop, like donut eater versus someone else, it's going to be perceived differently. So I think like playing with that too is really interesting. And I don't think we really talk about that as much. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were saying in terms of the sport versus well, the theater. I, I think that if your show is presented more theatrically, mm-hmm. and uh, by that I mean, I mean a lot of different things. But but if you're focusing more on a theatrical presentation, you can start a show in which you begin as an individual, as a unique person. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that you can start more sporting like improv shows in that way, because mm-hmm. when you start individual, like if the suggestion is cop, right. right. And I'm just using that as like a super broad term. Mm-hmm. If you begin to play that cop as an individual, meaning yeah. that you're not referencing cop things immediately, right. the audience detaches and gets bored and confused because you haven't accepted the challenge. Right. They, they don't see how you're playing into their expectations and they don't see how you're subverting their expectations. Mm-hmm. They don't see where the comedy is coming from. Mm-hmm. They think that you just ignored the suggestion. Right. So you're inclined to do shit like that in that kind of environment. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, it, it, the opposite side of that, I guess like what's been very important to me a lot recently is, um, I just want to see more of a sense of people's everyday lives on a mm. stage. Right. Yeah. And just getting to dissect that more. I mean, it's also, right, it's just they're different kinds of shows. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just different ways to play that. Because I would love, and also we've been doing comedy now for a while, so we're a very different type of audience, mm-hmm. right? Like, if I go and watch a show, I'm, like, I, I'm i more interested in video now because I know about how much of a process it is to get it from start to finish. 
and how much thought has to go into it. I'm probably a little bit more hesitant to watch improv and even perform an improv because I don't have as much control as what's going on and what the message is. But they're just, it's just two different shows, you know, and we're different types of audience members. Like I can't watch an improv show anymore with my friends because I'm a menace. Mm-hmm. The Cards Against Humanity, no one wants to play with me. I'm like, you think that's funny? I don't know. I just feel like we're just perpetuating some type of, <laughs> you know, the casualness, I think, as an audience member is no longer part of my agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm, yeah, I always like watching slower shows. I always like watching good actors and good performers. Cause I think a lot gets, uh, falls through the cracks. I think with those more like, uh, accepting the challenge shows are just like, we have 22 minutes to do, you know, a really like fun piece for the audience. And, you know, we're all going to have a great time, but I think the slower pieces, you don't necessarily, you're not meant to always laugh. You're just supposed to. That, that to me, I like watching more because that shows to me an actor that's really confident in their skills and is okay sitting in that silence. And then there's also the extreme of it, right? Like I've seen, I saw like a performance show like of where it was very self-indulgent. The performers were just finding movement for 45 minutes, mm-hmm. which is great. That's great. But they were finding it in front of us and there was a sense of like, you guys, 30 Rock already did this, mm-hmm. you know, and they did it in a flashback and they did it in 10 seconds. But um yeah, yeah, I guess that's also really interesting to me, just just seeing them as different shows. I, I don't know, do you guys remember what when you first watched comedy, what it felt like? You know, like, I, I just can't get back there. And I don't necessarily want to, but I just remember thinking, you know, my first Herald show, just being like, this is magic, right? This is genius. And now there's a sense of we know too much, mm-hmm. and I expect more if I see a mistake, or not a mistake, like a let's say a move that I think is um, negative either to the group um, or just kind of goes or becomes is a self-indulgent thing, you know? Negative to the group. How, how do you mean? I guess like, like selfish moves. I'm really, I really, I can't, I really like community and I like everyone to be fed if they're doing a show together. And mm-hmm. I like, you know, people being pulled out. I like everyone being able to interact. I just, either people being really selfish or if someone's clearly trying to do something and someone cuts them off, you know, and I'm talking about experienced performers, not like this is like level two class show, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. obviously no idea. That's you're flying by the seat of your pants to quote Peter McInerney, right? McInerney. God damn it. Yeah. Whatever. It's just a name. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, yeah. And, and to me, this also gets, you know, closer to like a broader implication of like entertainment in general, which is also something that I think right. about a lot because we now are live in a world where it seems like it's just chronic nonstop entertainment. It does. It feels like you have, you have to be entertained every fucking never, second of your life. So ominously. I, yeah, well, I, mean, it, it, I tell you, and I don't know if this is just a question of me being cranky and, and feeling no, like no, I'm no, you're talking to right, or, yeah. or, 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 but I, I feel like, overstuffed with it i'm I'm tired of being entertained and, right and there is a certain point where like entertainment as anesthetic entertainment is something that's just meant to kind of dull your perceptions and mm-hmm. keep you kind of uh, um uh, uh mildly happy and yeah, that's a like kind satiated. of entertainment that's fed with perpetuating images Im- images mm-hmm. that you know what i mean like thoughtless images right it's just stuff that is easy laugh to get you uh, uh, um, forgetting about real life for 10 more minutes mm-hmm. and then 
change the channel or go to another website to forget about life for another 10 more minutes. <laughs> and then there's a kind of entertainment that isn't about You're that. So upset. I am. It, it, but there comes yeah. a, doesn't it become toxic after a while? Doesn't it oh, become absolutely. poisonous? I mean, yeah, that's why, uh, you know, I try to stay off. I mean, there's, there's a complete divide as well in terms of like, we, we're looking at people, the people that influence us are comedians that, you know, they did what they had to do in theaters. They had to, you know, they took all their classes, they did whatever. There wasn't necessarily a digital outlet for all this stuff. You had to like, there was very small, you had a tiny ladder to try to get to the top of. And then when you did, it became harder and harder to climb the ladder. Things like social media. I think the best things about it is that it's given communities of color more of an opportunity to be seen. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot more accessibility now just because we're using things like uh, Instagram, YouTube more, you know, people can just put out whatever you basically just need a phone and people are very forgiving in terms of quality. Um, But I agree. I think it's too much and people, the bar is like, I talk about master of none endlessly and please stop me if it's just, if I talk about it too much, but I have huge problems with master of none and I feel like I've had problems with it ever since it came out And I talk to people about it all the time. Like, what do you think about it? People are like, yeah, I really liked it. Did you binge it? Yes, I binged it. I chose not to binge it because I really, I hate this binging mentality and I hate just constantly stuffing down uh, images and visuals. I don't think there's any worth to that because you're not giving it the respect it is trying to deserve. Mm -hmm. Something like Master of None, you know, I only liked three episodes and there were the episodes that Aziz wasn't in. Do I love Aziz? Yes, he's from Queens. We probably went to the same high school, you know, it's, it's a complicated friendship. Um, but in the sense that like, I can't, yeah, I, I can't just like shove all this down. I can't, I, I, I won't, I don't want to, I, I, even being on Instagram, like it's such an easy drug to accept. I think that's just what it is. And I think we're moving to a point where in 10 years, it's all going to be up in our faces. It's just, we're not even going to have to use our hands. And people make the argument that there's, uh, your phone is essentially an extra limb, right? It's something that helps you think it's essentially uh, artificial intelligence. It's just not in your brain yet. And so that's where things are going, which to me is terrifying, but I'm also 80 years old inside of a 26 year old. My friends are, are just, they, they verbalize things like, well, it'll make it easier. What make what? But it'll just make if it goes in our if it, the chip is if it's already just put in our. Yeah, head. but why does everything have to be made easier? Right. Well, Lewis, you've hit the crux of it. I so everything has a anything that that brings a light also casts a shadow, right? Mm-hmm. And what you what social media does is it 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 opens up a platform to begin to hear lots more voices becoming mainstream voices than right. ever were before. Right. Mm. But then the shadow side to, to the phenomena of social media is, um, and I, I'm not saying any person or people have this agenda. I think yeah. it's just the tidal wave of, of the change of, of how we like interface and use stuff. Mm-hmm. It uh, uh, seems to want to make every single thing conscious all the time. By which I mean, I'm a slow learner. Mm. I need time to like digest shit and I need time to forget about it so that it starts to come back into my mind and I can start to have a sense of how I feel about it or what I think it means or how it relates to me. I got to digest images. I have to digest Mm. 
ideas. It just takes me time. Mm-hmm. It has to go to this unconscious place and and kind of hit the bedrock of who I am a little bit mm-hmm. and kick up whatever debris it kicks up before I know my response. Sometimes that happens in 10 minutes. Sometimes it takes mm-hmm. a couple yeah, of years, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, um, But now making everything easier where there's just screens implanted into our eyeballs and we're constantly having everything connected to everything, it, it seems to want to get rid of that unconscious period. It seems to mm-hmm. want to get, like I believe that we as a culture are suffering from light pollution. I think that we just don't allow enough darkness into our lives. hundred percent. Yeah. And we seem to, the solution seems to be to just hook up more light bulbs to everything. Now mm-hmm. let's just implant light bulbs in your fucking brain so that you're lit up constantly. You're awake right. constantly. Y- y- you know, everything all the time you have access to everything all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that doesn't respect the fact that we spent a hundred thousand years, 150,000 years in trees. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're still mostly animals that uh, can't handle being awake all the time. Right. I, I think also the idea of just constantly being connected is what stresses me out. Like I try to actively uh, leave my phone somewhere. Or I'll just leave it behind. I mm-hmm. won't carry it around. I mean, I'm also just freaked out by the radiation of it. Like I'm constantly editing on my computer. I, I have no idea what's going to happen in 50 years in terms of what the, the consequences of that uh, could be, but there's certainly, it's like the cigarettes of our generation. Yeah. That's I'm trying to think of like what, what, what would happen before when people got sad, right. They would drink, you know, drink drugs, whatever, but there's still an element of that. It's just now people document it, you know, or there's, there's no, like as soon as someone feels sad as opposed to like, I mean, Louis CK talks about that where he was just like, he felt really sad and he immediately went to his phone. Like he pulled over in his car and he, um, went to go just like call someone. And he was like, no, I'm just going to sit in this and be sad. And he cried. And he said, I just felt so much better because I let my body naturally like help itself. And I, I don't think there's enough independent. I mean, to kind of go back, to this idea of uh, like, I know we're talking about polyamorous relationships before. And like, I just, I think of it a lot, how people are a lot of times in these monogamous relationships. And I find that there's a a lot of it stems from fear. You know, I'll be like, Oh, do you think you believe there's only one person for you? And they're like, I do believe in that, but I don't necessarily know if this is a person for me. Um, But there's a sense of fear to not be connected to something or to someone at all times. Uh, And for me, I feel like it does connect in terms of thinking of independence or thinking of being able to um, regenerate feelings or regenerate uh, something inside yourself, but but, like as a result of your own body. Um, I don't know. That's a half cooked thought, but I I do. I am very fearful for, I mean, I auditioned, auditioned for something with a bunch of Instagrammers and YouTubers and it is just, it is a different type of world. Like that comedy scene is just really all about fast, quick, on your phone. What are we talking about? Let's vlog. And it's that sigh, Lewis, is how I felt. Yeah. It's, it's how- sad. It's sad. Like, I'm just like, oh, what happened to the artistry of it? I, I mean, I tell people all the time, people call themselves comedians and it drives me insane. You know, like I half call myself a comedian because the amount of work and research and time it takes to figure out how you're funny or where to go or how to be and really live in this takes a lot. And maybe you're naturally a funny person. Maybe you naturally are good with people that doesn't necessarily make you a comedian. 
And um, yeah, I don't know. There's just not enough respect for words and there's not enough respect, I think, for. I agree with that. Yeah. It, it, and it, it, to me, it's a pervasiveness. I sound so like. Like I should be on like CBS. <laughs> You're my favorite fucking, grumpy cat. It's ugh. okay. It's okay. It's this pervasiveness of, of <laughs> shallowness and immediacy uh-huh. and, and it like sadness. It's interesting that you bring up sadness. I do. I want to talk about sadness. I want to talk about power words. Yeah. Uh, um, it, that you bring up sadness. That's also on my mind a lot. Mm. It, this feeling of we can't ever be sad. Mm-hmm. I think many of our problems, both individually and culturally have mm. to do with the fact that we refuse to accept grieving into our lives. Yeah. I think first, I think sadness is very beautiful. Mm. Chronic sadness, chronic clinical depression, you know, is, is a problem and something mm. that, that, you know, you probably don't want to have control in your life. Right. But to define everything in this in this binary of you're either clinically depressed or you're sure. fine, I think mm-hmm. is a huge mistake. Absolutely. Sadness gives a person character. Mm-hmm. Sadness gives a person depth and and it bring it brings out a subtlety to your to the 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 inner spectrum of colors that make up who you are. Mm-hmm. And uh, it brings a kind of lightness of touch and it it it, it gives you character. It begins mm-hmm. to wear away at your surface and give you depth. Right. And I think grieving too is another thing of, it's very important to grieve the things that get away and very important to grieve the things that we've done very badly and very important to grieve our past so that we can mm-hmm. grow our roots deeper and become stronger, mm-hmm. better people for it. Right. But I think that we as a culture and, 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 you know, individually, we kind of shy away from that stuff. We kind of mm-hmm. make that all like some kind of symptomatic of an illness. Right. And so uh, this is what I mean by light pollution. Mm-hmm. We're afraid of having nighttime of, of the soul, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. We, we just don't want to accept the fact that sometimes the right thing to do is to be sad and right. to remove yourself from other people and to feel that sadness and let it work on you. Mm-hmm. We don't want that. We want to stay constantly preoccupied from it, constantly right. more shit to distract us from ourselves. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess it just, it does really bother me. Uh, I know a lot of people that, uh, you know, deal with clinical depression. And I mean, for me, it's it's interesting because I consider myself a goldfish. I think just in the family, I was the youngest one. So was constantly the tension breaker, constantly um, just trying to have, just trying to have giggles and uh, a bunch of crazy Colombians. Um, but so I don't think I ever really under, understood it, but I under, I understand that that's something that people deal with, but there's such a lack of respect for people that have clinical depression or mm-hmm. people that are, or people that are sad, mm-hmm. right? Like, why can't I just, come in and just be, you know, I'm a little bit upset today or I'm dealing with something I'm processing, but people feel like they either need all of you or they feel like they need to see your best you all the time. And there's a certain one dimensionalness to it that I don't know, because it's also like looking at friends or how people relate to each other. Now it's not like they're having deep conversations. It's let's follow each other on Instagram and then we'll go from there. And then let me see if there's enough worth, uh, if there's enough positive worth that I can take from you. 
And that's how I, in terms of how I see it, the dark in the darkest way, or just not even just networking. I, I see people go through this. They won't even talk to each other. Mm-hmm. They'll just be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You seem cool. Just follow me. And then I'll see you later. I'm like that happened. Uh, well, I, 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 you know, sim- similar to like when you provoke someone's embarrassment, mm-hmm. they'll usually get hostile to you. Right. I think when you provoke someone's sense of helplessness, they mm-hmm. behave in unpredictable ways. And I think part of that thing of like, mm-hmm. it's embarrassing to be sad because you provoke a feeling of helplessness in the yeah. people around you. And then they mm-hmm. suddenly feel like it's wrong to be sad or it's wrong right. to grieve. It is somehow I have to make it okay for everybody around me. Right. Uh, um, to, to feel inspired. Everybody's got to be fucking inspired these days. Right. It drives me <laughs> crazy. But you, yeah. you know what I mean? I don't, I don't mean that in a disrespectful no, no, no. way. I, it, I, it, it, you know what I mean? Like, but, but it's, the, it's this like mania to constantly be inspired. It, it, to me, it's just more light pollution. Right. I mean, I, and I think also uh, comedians get this all the time. It's, you know, oh, you're a comedian. You know, tell me a joke. Right. Or satisfy me. Right. I don't know. There's just, uh, that's why I'm really curious to talk about to talk with people that existed in this sort of, in this reality where it was, let's say pre social media, where, what did you, were you treated the same way? Was it a quick satisfaction? Did people just want something immediate from you and then leave you? Right. It's it's almost like we treat each other like everyone wants to connect, but they're not willing to deal with the consequences of that. Or they're not really trying to get to know someone. They're just trying to get to know the little, little fun buttons. Um, but I think light pollution is a really good way uh, to put that. Yeah, I guess I just feel freaked out. <laughs> I feel like, um, Lewis, yeah. I'm even 11. I know. We got to go. I know. Evan, good luck with that laptop, buddy. Yeah. Uh, respect and words. I've been uh, I've been following you right for uh, the cat call. Yes. That that happened. That's great. Are you is that a is that is that still happening or is that in your oh, past? Guys, let's hope so. You know what I'm saying? Mama yeah. could use the bucks. Yeah. Um it's so it was a recent thing. I wrote uh I led one episode and then I helped co-write uh three other episodes. What what do you mean when you say you led one episode? You got so you essentially got to cat so cat selected a group of writers, mm-hmm. team of writers, and it was uh uh was a group of great people. We had a researcher and then she essentially the process, uh, the process the way she wanted to do it was that one person would lead uh, an episode and then we would all sort of help uh, that person out. But you were in charge of that episode. Um, but you also were in charge of giving other people feedback on their episodes. Um, so it was, I think also Kat really was like, I want more jokes. I want more comedy. Um, I want more just like little bits. So that's why like she hired me and Gabe Gonzalez, who works for Mike. Mm-hmm. And so we were just kind of trying to do a bit factory. Like, oh, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? Um, it was really great. I honestly, I don't think I've ever had a more healthy group. Like I've just, it's never been more satisfying work. I mean, you know, it was dumb. There were fart jokes, but uh, it's a political Latinx uh, YouTube series. So it's and it's starting to pick up a lot of traction, which is great. Great for Cat. Cat's a really she's a great performer. She's oh my God bless her heart. But it's just it was I don't know. You just you're I mean you know you you're in a writer's room and there's all that tension and there's ego and there's just people wanting to be funnier than the other person and sometimes they can't even hear your pitch because it's just about what they're trying to figure out in themselves. Mm-hmm. But this was really just a really open space and everyone really respected everyone that was working on the team. 
when we finished it, we did it in like three weeks and now she's in LA now shooting them. Yeah. And then hopefully uh, we get another season. Well, it's solid and smart and very funny. No. And in terms of stupid fart jokes. <laughs> uh, yeah. They're the I, most politicized ones. I don't trust anything political or in depth that doesn't have a fart joke and vice versa. That's I true. Get bored with fart jokes that don't right. also include something subversive. In yeah. There as well. Yeah. Well, that's also, I mean, that's my favorite kind of stuff to do. I think I've, I was sort of talked about this before. I can't really do improv anymore because I'm just, I, and I never thought I'd say this, but I'm now in my head as a, like, what are we trying to say with right. all this? Which is very bizarre because improv was my first love and will always be my first love. But. Well, I, 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 I understand. And I also, f- I feel very, um, at first, I think it's very important as a maturing improviser, mm. as a young improviser, you got to say yes to everything because you got to practice and you got to, yeah. you got to meet people and you got to have your heart broken by people a few times. You have to, yeah. you have to make friends and you have to lose friends and you have to totally. be on teams and you have to have teams taken away from you. You, you just, you need those experiences mm. and you need to um, fail in front of people and you need to learn that it's okay in front of people and all that stuff. But as you get older and you mature, I think you have to say no to a lot of things too. Yeah. And not in the cynical bullshit fucking protect your brand thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, the whole world wants to reduce us to, <sighs> not in that way, but in the way of, I do think that you, you know, it, it, you do have to constantly question like, what are my reasons for this? What mm-hmm. point am I trying to make? And for me, Personally, it's more of a thing of, um, uh, I think we should be seeing uh, the truth with a lowercase t on stage. Mm -hmm. And and to me, that means you do your best to call it like you see it and to show the moment as you witness it and as you experience it. That's not truth with a capital T, mm. which becomes self-indulgent and preachy and, uh, um, and again, another image, another branding thing. Mm. I'm here to tell you how it is. Right. But I, I almost think of it as kind of like bringing a certain sense of transparency on the stage that we're going to do our best to play out this situation the way right. it happens in real life. But I'm going to do my best to bring, I'm going to do my best to be this character for you. Uh, uh-huh. And to bring my own heart into this character. And if this person's shadow side gets into it, I'm going to do my best to honestly show you that shadow side and and not necessarily make an indictment one way or the other, but to yeah. show you the way it is. To me, it's that thing of like, and this, this is why I think fart jokes are so important when you're talking about the political, uh-huh. is because that is real life. Real Real life is not... Uh, um, all superficiality, but real life is also not all like depth and heart wrenching, soul searching. Mm-hmm. It's all of it, all at once. Mm-hmm. And in in your most, in the worst moments of your life, someone farts. Right. That just happens. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. Or like things that'll humble you, or you know, yeah. I mean that life is just comprised of you trying to have control and then uh, control being taken away, whether it's in a funny way or in a dark way. It's I think, I think that's why I just hearing what you're saying, like, yeah, I didn't trust myself as an improviser anymore to be able to do that effectively. I just had to be like, like I just did a show recently and the whole time I was like, you know, I I want, I want to be able to do this better and I want to be able to commit to this, but it just in my mind, I, I also think there's a, for whatever reason, I've always felt this deep responsibility 
to like, because I'm white passing, you know, I'm well-spoken. I like have some type of presence and can be seen visually in a way where people aren't like, get this homeless woman out of here. I've always felt like I needed to do something more important. I always felt like I needed my work needed to just have more of a specific focus and lens. Like I, in the beginning, obviously you're just figuring out what you're trying to figure out. And mm-hmm. I think you explained it really well. You know, you're maturing, you're growing, you have to have failures, you have to figure out, Oh, maybe that's not my kind of funny, but uh, yeah. And I think that's why I've just tried really hard to get better at like at writing, get better at shooting you know, be able to practice that because there's more control of that. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, hearing you say that, I'm like, yeah, that's what improv is. I like, got its best. It's really great to see that. It's really great to see people presenting that. Um, it's just so rare, you know? Yeah. And then yes. that's, I think that's what's hardest for me to see. It's, it's, it's hard for me to see people's, you know, to see that people don't understand or, or people are, or let's say ignorant on a certain subject and I have to watch them be ignorant of that. Um, well, here, here's something that, that's interesting. It, yeah. um, something that's rarely talked about in improv is exercising taste mm. and exercising judgment and exercising a, a sense of aesthetics, a sense of beauty. You never mm-hmm. hear anyone talk about the beauty of a show, right? And and yeah. and when I say exercise taste and judgment, I don't mean uh, um I don't mean just to shy away from certain topics that are going to make people feel uncomfortable. I don't mean to do it as like a, um, as a political thing so that you make yourself look good or come across squeaky clean. Right. But I mean, exercise in exercising your taste and judgment, that's how you show your artistry. That's Mm -hmm. how you show the things that you value and care about. The number of times that I have seen people let a show get completely out of control and go either, either um offensive or or just disgusting or just ap- fucking stupid uh-huh. or or any combination of the above right and then talk to them afterwards and found out that their entire mo was like i was just trying to yes hand is like to me one of as i get older it's one of the things i i'm like clenching my fists about more and more the way yeah. that people use this notion of well, I have to yes and things right? as meaning that somehow the price of being an improviser is you have to check your own sensibility and judgment and taste at the door so that you can be an effective yes ander. To me, that's just thoughtlessness. That's robot behavior. Yeah. And you get a lot of well-meaning people who are not only not accessing their sense of taste, they seem to be cut off from their sense of taste mm. simply because they're more concerned with doing it right, which means yes ending, which, you know what I mean? Right. Like, or saving face. Or, I mean, yeah, because then it's why are we here? You know, if you're yeah. if you're at this level and you're brought because of what you bring to the table, you have to be able to exercise that judgment mm-hmm. and also be able to have some kind of like, oh, this to me doesn't sound right. You know, and also people probably hopefully aren't laughing. It's worse when people are laughing and you're like, I have no idea why they're laughing. Um, yeah. Lewis, have we just become too old? Well, but this is the problem I have all the time with people. I get, I go down this rabbit hole of just like, yeah, I have a lot of problems with this. I mean, I sat and watched a sketch show that I thought was a really racist sketch show or sketch. And people were hissed, like 
loving it. Like my, this like woman that sat next to me, she's like, Oh yeah, you're going to love this one. I've seen this one. Hated it. Hated it with a passion. I was like, I think I'm just, I should just go home. I should just get those cats, call it a day, break up with my girlfriend. You know, what are we guys, what are we doing? Well, here's the thing. How do you get less angry at the world? No, I think you should be angry at the world. I I think that the world is always going to spontaneously grow its own conscience. Mm. Um, and I think that we right now, I don't know where it's going to go. Cause I do think that the, the universe of social media and, and you know what, to be fair, and you know, I'm really speaking from a bias here because I don't use it mm-hmm. or I use it very intermittently. And, and right, I've seen I, your Facebook. It's pretty barren. It's just, yeah. I, I deliberately use my Facebook and I'll be honest. And I'm, this is probably going to insult a few people listening to this and I don't mean to, but I'm, I'm just, this is how I feel. I mm-hmm. use Facebook explicitly to mention the next show that I'm doing and that's it. Yeah. I don't use it for any other purpose. I, I don't, I, I, I don't, I save my opinions on things for actual face-to-face interactions. Right. With people. Right. I, I this is going to offend no one. I do the same thing. When people are, are, are grieving or sharing personal things, I don't like their status. I don't post. Uh, I'm wishing you well. Yeah. It's something I do face-to-face with people. I don't use yeah. Facebook for that stuff. And I know I'm in the minority. Uh, you're in the I, minority, I, but uh, yeah. But the the point is, I'm I'm about to make a broad statement about our culture as if I'm a participant of it, and I'm I'm really not. So I mm-hmm. I, I also I'm open to feedback, and I'm open to be kind of put in my place for this. Okay, I'm ready. Um, but where we are right now, and who knows what this is going to be like in 20 years, because the social media culture might be our cigarette. It might be everyone does it until you realize that it's giving us all, if not brain cancer, then cancer of the soul. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. But right now we're in a a a, a, a a landscape that's just dominated by this sense. It's still this light pollution thing. And it's this adolescent pollution thing. It's this feeling of, of constant update, update, everything, everything update. Right. Like, and I think that a world that's like that naturally begins to grow old people like ourselves as like a counterbalance of like, you're not respecting certain things that an, an old way of looking at the world has to do. It, it, and this word of respect is an interesting one. I read uh, a quote from uh, W.H. Auden this week that I liked a lot that I'm going to mm. not get correct, but it's something to the effect of we are lived by powers that we pretend to understand. We are lived by powers that we pretend to understand. Mm. And this notion of having to respect this thing that we pretend to understand a lot of things, but in a way, right? Like many, Mm -hmm. many of our, many of our, of our thoughts or feelings that we're most proud of and most identify with as ourselves are the legacy of people who lived in trees 150,000 years ago. Right. Right. There are these powers that run much deeper than we do that are living through us that we Mm -hmm. pretend to understand. And I think, or that, even closer than that, just you know, whoever you read the book you liked when you were fifteen, absolutely. right? It's like that's, that's half of your personality, and you absolutely. might not even realize it. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. It kind of gets its way in your in your mind, and 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 things grow around it. And before there's a whole constellation of ideas in your mind now that you, right? You know, I'm essentially the plot of Jurassic Park. <laughs> I'm trying to get to the first one. All of them, Doctor Grant. How I dress every day. Can I tell you how much I love Jeff Goldblum? I love yeah. Jeff Goldblum. Oh yeah, he I, always, he's great. I met him. He's great. He's really? Not, yeah, not to mic drop. <laughs> Did you meet him in a professional capacity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just like, oh yeah, yeah, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, yeah. He's so funny. It makes me so happy when people, people are, are like, real. Turn yeah, out yeah, to yeah. Be, yeah. 
It makes me so sad when they're not. Oh, big time. It's the big time. Yeah. Yeah. But you were saying, sorry to interrupt your thought. Um, There's an attitude, I think, when you kind of step back where the best attitude is one of respectfulness Mm -hmm. and, and respect is just this acknowledgement that like, I don't know this stuff. I, Mm -hmm. I I am, I am, I am being swept around by the currents the same as everybody else. And there are, there are powers bigger and deeper and older than I am that I'm a part of, et cetera. I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. But, oh, uh, yeah, so so this idea of, like, respectfulness and respecting the words that you use and respecting the images that you're choosing to put on stage and, mm-hmm. and, and respecting other people, but also respecting, like, if you're going to be on stage and you're doing a show and you're going to do something shitty, there's a way where you're doing it thoughtlessly and flippantly, and there's a way right. where you're respecting the reality that, like, there's a shitty side to these people, and it, here it is on stage, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm neither holding this up to be laughed at nor am I holding it up to indict. I am showing it because that's it. I'm showing it with this attitude of respect that Mm -hmm. it's part of the powers around me and part of the powers in me that if we want to actually reasonably maturely do anything about this, if we actually reasonably maturely want to learn and grow and be better, we have to start from that place of respecting what really is and not being thoughtless. It's the thoughtlessness of comedy and the thoughtlessness of entertainment right. that drives me crazy. Well, there's also, a, I think people choose to not have any agency in trying to figure out, um, and, and necessarily, let's say an understanding language or trying to respect a group, right? Mm-hmm. They're not trying to do their own research or trying to figure out what, uh, how they understand it. Or they, I don't know. There's a lack of like, let's say in that scene, if someone's trying to set something up so that it, they can, just show this character with all their flaws. It's up to their teammates to be like, this is a flawed person mm-hmm. to express that reality. Like what this world is. It's like, we don't respect people like that because, or, you know, we understand that these are flaws. Um, but it's, it's hard because I think a lot of times it, what we understand to be flaws or defects in certain people, other people don't see them as defects or flaws. You know, it's the same thing as, you know, if someone, uh, I view someone as racist and they don't view themselves as racist. Right. Or kind of like when, when are people going to start doing their own research or start trying to understand communities, I think on their own, as opposed to waiting for people to teach them. Well, I, you know, my sense is that your average person, uh, um, who is not in an artistic community mm-hmm. simply is not going to uh, for the very reason that it is more work to go out of your way to learn about other people. Yeah. And you're never going to choose the path of more work. Never. I just don't think it's going to happen. But we also both have no faith in humanity. No, that's oh. not true. I, I, I think that humanity has a default like other animals. I think that there's just a default to habit and a default to inertia and a default to taking the path of least resistance. And I think that we are an animal with a lot more, with a lot of pride in our abilities and maybe some uh, more pride than is necessary. And we're being inundated with more information overload than we're capable of, of coping. Yes, but I will say you also... Uh, do have a higher position of power in regards to let's say like the both of us in society. Like I might, I am maybe less hesitant. Um, yes, there are defaults and stuff like that. But I also truly like I have a huge problem 
in terms of accepting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I just see like, I, I hear, I talk about this with uh, my straight friends or my white friends or my straight white friends. And there's just a certain level of like, there's just a different side of humanity that I've seen yeah. that to me, I think I just feel like I, I'm, I'm truly nervous for the future. Like I, I very, I am very worried, <laughs> you know, um, not just for myself, but other people that uh, belong to my communities. I just, I don't know. It's pretty, it's pretty horrific. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, guys. It's just, uh, it's just sad. I, I mean, I, it's just going back to that responsibility. I just feel a sense of responsibility to try to correct as much as possible. Well, I think that that's a responsibility that is when you embrace a lifestyle of, of pursuing artistic expression. Mm -hmm. I think that there is also at a certain point a responsibility to what the average person will not take on their shoulders. Mm -hmm. It's your responsibility to now take on your shoulders. Right. But then also looking at the different, different artists in terms of like what I'm taking on my shoulders sure. versus my other uh, artist friends. Sure. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and I, I can't speak to that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, my only point is I think that a lot of people don't think of it in those terms. I, I think that mm -hmm. a lot of people will choose performance and it's a, it feels good to do. And that's yeah. pretty much where it ends. And so right. you do it because it feels good to do. But I think that you're also, there's a, there is a price that you're paying when you do that. And it has to do with maturing as a person. It has to mm -hmm. do with aging and it has to do with living right. your life a little deeper. And part of that is you have a certain responsibility. You have to be the one who's keeping yourself curious. You have to be the one who's going out of your way to look at the world from different angles and out of your way to consider other people's points of view and out of your way to put yourself in places that are going to make you uncomfortable. Right. Because which, it's your job to get on stage and, and be honest about stuff. Right. Yeah. I just, but yeah, kind of like what we're both saying, just people don't, people aren't willing to be uncomfortable. I, I and, think that's a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I just think the way I say it a lot to people is, you know, I've been uncomfortable for most of my life. So it's kind of like yeah. I had to figure out, uh, like learn about things, have language to empower myself. Uh, and you know, I chose to learn, I made those decisions, but people that aren't necessarily have never felt uncomfortable, don't understand that. Um, and I think as a performer, it's, we're just going to come from two different places because I think on stage you have, you're constantly living in a state of the unknown, right. Where you're, you know, you've trained, you're funny, you have a good rapport with your teammates, but truly you don't know what's going to happen. And so I think trying to remove as much uncomfortability in that moment is what people try to do as opposed to leaning into it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. For me, it, it, uh, it, it has been the thing of, I haven't really been too uncomfortable. I, you know, I'm a white guy. Mm -hmm. Minus when I told you in the very beginning that we'd have sex in an alleyway. Didn't make me uncomfortable. Well, just like, well it's listen, probably not you don't know, happen, you don't know what I, you don't know what I like. So, <laughs> this, uh, these lips looser than a sailor's. I'm pretty open to that. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, um, for me, it wasn't really like having a lot of like uncomfortableness in my life. But for me, it was this thing of like, I've grown up a very quiet person. 
Sure. I mean, that's also discomfort. I mean, not the quietness, but just people, I think, can have different kinds of un- you No, know, yeah, it, you totally, know? totally. It, but it, it like for me, being quiet is like a big part of my nature. And I don't even think of it as like introverted. It's just like you got to be quiet and you got to like look mm-hmm. at things. Mm-hmm. You got to be this is going to sound so stupid, but like you got to be able to tell what makes today's sunset different from yesterday's sunset. You got to look totally. and see what's actually there. And uh, I, I think that that's like a part of your responsibility too. It, 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 an artist has to learn to discriminate. Mm-hmm. And that word, that's a word that has very negative connotations, but there's a power to that word because it means tell the difference between one thing and another. And I mm-hmm. think that the hallmark of an artist is an ability to discriminate, an ability okay. to see what makes something unique in front of you. Right. And, and be able to, to speak express to it. That. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But you can't express it if you don't see it first. Sure. If you don't see it, you can only express the generality of uniqueness, which is a contradiction in terms. Right. And that, but then you also get into the idea of intention versus what's actually actually gets made, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of uh, people being like, well, this is what I wanted to say, but whether it's in a visual or uh, just like a stand-up set, it didn't come across. You know, they weren't able to figure out what their joke was. Mm-hmm. Um which is also, I mean, that's also comedians get, I mean, the whole thing with like Kathy Griffin, for example, where she had the head, Trump's head, and it got, um, did you guys hear about this? Yeah. So it got all this, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I was just, I was pretty surprised at how much of a backlash she got, right? Because it's also, one, comedy is constantly just experimenting and just trying random things. Two, the amount of, you know, the fact that people weren't up in arms about this over, uh, this man, right? I mean, I don't want to go down a Trump rabbit hole, but uh, there's just, that is comedy. There's a lot of times it's like you try something, it doesn't work. Uh, and also I'm not going to defend Kathy Griffin, right? She's, she has, she calls Oprah like ghetto Oprah and does like other problematic shit. But I think that there's, I don't know, people get angry about the wrong things. Like instead of focusing on, you know, social, like why are we constantly trying to digest all this information? People are, uh, they're like, this is horrible. This is a huge, this is a horrible mistake. I can't believe that she would do something like this. It's like, it wasn't even her idea. It was the photographer's idea. I also think that just goes into a gender thing. I think if, um, a male comedian had done it, it would have been, it would have been different. Mm. Um, I just think she was probably the perfect scapegoat. Like she was the perfect person to just, uh, leech onto. Yeah. How did you feel about it? Um, I agree that the backlash was disproportionate. Yeah. Um, and I thought that it expressed, I mean, who hasn't thought of killing Trump? Right. I, I think it, 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 it expressed something that's probably in everyone's mind. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I, I, I say it wasn't everyone, funny. It wasn't, I don't think that was it, my thing. It yeah. Was like, it's not this funny. isn't funny. Right. Um, it was a bad joke. It was a bad joke, but it, like it, to me, so many people, and this is probably me speaking from a place of privilege, honestly. Mm. Many bad jokes to me are like, ah, fuck it. Right. And then move on. I don't care. It, it, sure. it was a bad joke and I'm going to see more bad jokes. Mm-hmm. I, I found it more offensive as a bad joke than as a statement. As a statement, I was like, yeah, that looks like what's going through my brain too. Right. Right. Because it's also like then you're looking at someone like Trump who's saying horrible statements. He's a bad joke. Yeah. he's. But to good. penalize people for bad jokes and then let people get away Mm-hmm. with living a life that itself is a bad joke, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, is the height of hypocrisy. Right. And and there are so many, it has to do with privilege, it has to do with sexism, it has to do mm-hmm. with so many different things. But but right. I, I also think that it has to do with 
um, it's easier to attack something as superficial as a joke mm-hmm. than it is to actually look at what's actually going on. The reality. Like the, yeah. I forget who said this. Maybe Joseph Conrad, but the horror of the situation. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. I mean, terrified isn't the right word. I, I, mm-hmm. Like disgust, nauseous, disgusted. Yeah. It, it, there, there is a horror to the situation. And for me, a big part of what do you do with that horror? Right. Right. You're not going to dismantle it. It's too big for that. It's too ancient for that. It goes back too far. Mm-hmm. Too many horrible things have happened in the history of this country that have brought us to this moment for us to conveniently find a solution to it. But I think that the first step is that you have to begin by acknowledging and grieving mm-hmm. your past. Right. Another thing I read recently that struck a chord was, uh, um, uh, what is it? The dead demand to be remembered, right? I don't know what that is. I think it's the dead demand to be remembered. Uh, uh, and I think that that's true. I think that there is a sense of you have to look back at the past and remember it. Mm. And if you don't remember it, then there is a, a, a certain sense where, like, you know, the claws of the dead are going to reach out from the grave to pull you back in. And right, that, the repetition of it. And, yeah, I think that there is something kind of collectively, psychologically true about that. The very first thing is we have to acknowledge, like, the nightmare of the situation. And we have mm-hmm. to grieve the nightmare of the situation. We have right. to... We're lived by powers that we pretend to understand. We have to grieve the fact that that we are the result of a horrific fucking past. That's right. a, that's just true. And 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 to not be to to be able to look at it mm-hmm. and to be able to live with the feelings of rage and sadness and grief and embarrassment and torment and injustice. The, the first process of grieving means you have to digest it. You need mm-hmm. a little darkness in there. You got to cut right. out the fucking light pollution. The, I, I honestly believe this. The more light pollution you put into it, the worse that shit is. Right. That's that's what makes me very nervous about the future is this feeling of the more we try to repress the nightmare of the situation, the right. more insistent that nightmare is. Donald Trump, in my opinion, just happens to be uh, 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 one particular embodiment of the nightmare of that situation he's like a parody of a human being i I guess also it's interesting because it is like um you know looking at the consequences of social media versus consequences of like uh people getting killed and Mm -hmm. uh i mean it's been it's been going on for forever i i just i think my horror is in feeling helpless in terms of how do i it almost makes me want to stop doing comedy in the sense of like, maybe I should just be out there. Maybe I should just be helping people like become a nurse and actually do things that can help people. I mean, comedy is great comedy. I'm, I'm not going to stop doing comedy, but um, you know, shit's been real. I think for, you know, pe- queer people and people in the community of color for always. Right. So it's kind of like this kind of, like there's a joke that's like, if you want a revolution to happen, you know, get a white woman upset. Like the woman's mm-hmm. march is just like 3 million white women that were upset. It's like, okay, they're going to get shit done. Right. Cause we haven't figured it out. Um, but I mean, this shit's been going on forever. Right. Like I've just felt, I felt hopeless for always like Trump, Trump is just another thing. But I think, you know, I, the, the one silver lining I would say is I now hope people understand how everyone's been suffering. Right. Or like how, now everyone's uh, up in arms about what's going on. Um, so I don't know. I just hope. 
I, I, I just want things. I, I just want people to understand what they're, what they're bringing to the table, whether it's their nurse, whether it's their comedian, I just want people to understand their intention and be able to work on that. You know, speaking on behalf of the white heteronormative mm-hmm. male patriarchy, I love them. I love most, not the ones that harass me on the streets. Cause they, no, I, I know. you know, I, uh, they I, want I, my shorts. Uh, right. <laughs> I bought them in France. You, you're going to identify with the oppressor and not the oppressed. Yeah. If for no other reason than because it is easier to live the rest of your life without having to think and feel about that. You know what I mean? Like right, that's the thing with like sexual uh, um, uh, misconduct and right. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's easier to identify with the uh, harasser than with the victim. Because if you identify with the victim, then you have to take on the victim's worldview and you have to recognize again, the mm-hmm. horror of the situation. And I think most people just don't want to take that on their shoulders. It's easier sure. to be unconscious to that stuff. Right. I mean, I, un- I understand why people do it. I just, my goal is to create discord. Like I, I just, Agreed. you know, you know, just at the very least make people like, there's nothing I think more sparkling for me than someone who like, I, I like give them something yeah. that they can understand, you know, and it's usually through comedy, right? It's making, it's breaking my defense mechanism is comedy. It's a, help me feel safe in a space. Yeah. And then that allows me to have conversations with people that maybe I normally wouldn't have conversations with. I mean, getting confused for a white man has really changed my, like that, the amount of juxtapositions I've lived through and, uh, have dealt with, with other people mm-hmm. is just, I don't know, like the last five years have really, I think marked how I just approach people now. And I, I, embrace having someone that lives in my total opposite, uh, worldview mm. just, uh, just, but I ask that they, you know, res- are respectful of me and can understand that they might not understand everything, Sure, you know, but unfortunately that's, you know, it's a rare, it's a rare egg. It is, but is there anything positive? Are we going to talk about anything that we like? I will say this. Oh, I, it, me, I, 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 well, I will also say this. My hope, I think that it's always easier to identify with the oppressor. Yeah. My hope is that's, I mean, that's if there is a, you know how when you deny something that's true about yourself, if you try to ignore it, it just comes knocking at your door Uh insistently, right? Until you you have to turn around and face it and Mm -hmm. recognize this is who I am. My only hope about the Trump presidency is that it, it, it serves as a little bit of a, of a, of a, poke in the ribs to people to make them realize that the longer you turn your back on your history, Mm -hmm. the good and the bad of it, but especially the bad of it, the more insistently that knock is going to come in the persons of people like, like him. Right. Uh, um, My hope is that we can learn to turn off some of the lights and, and actually experience grief a little bit grief for who we are and for what we've done. Right. You know what I mean? Like, cause it'll better serve our next moves and what we choose to do for ourselves. And I think our communities look all shit fertilizes the soil. We are just, Mm -hmm. we insist of keeping the shit completely away from us. Mm -hmm. We just want to sanitize everything. And the first thing is like, we're going to have to realize we're knee deep in shit before we can let that become a creative nutrient to the soil of our collective imagination. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. That's my hope for the future. But what I would say is to end on a positive note, well, I have, we can. I mean, we can send our grief. Lewis, we can. We can, and, and I, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. 
I have always respected that when you meet someone else who's funny, uh-huh. it's like a, a there's that little look in the eye where you kind of acknowledge, even if we're very different people from mm-hmm. very different backgrounds and have very different takes on the world, there's that acknowledgement of there's that extra thing. Mm-hmm. There's something about comedy and funny people. Um, there's an intelligence, there's a curiosity. And I think that there is like a little bit of like that ironic sense of funny people are smart people and they're smart in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's a, there's an irony to funny people. And I, right. to me, I equate that irony with, it helps to make it a little bit more digestible, this notion that we're lived by powers that are bigger than us that we pretend to understand. I think mm-hmm. that there is this element of you can be smart and rational. And also weirdly, I think there's a respectfulness that comes with, comedy mm-hmm. well i think because we're also we're we're okay working i think uh within lines but also leaving the lines like i think there, yeah. there's a lot of fluidity with comedians that they they're very socially aware and they're very you know maybe they're not the most uh socially uh the most social people but they i think are very aware of what's going on um and understand dynamics really well mm-hmm. um yeah, but I, I really like that. Yeah, there is something about meeting another comedian where it's like, you know, because we all go through a struggle of it, right? Like we're we're not funny because we were like, let's be comedians when we were eight years old. We were like, because everyone everyone understands, uh, everyone's made someone laugh in their life. Everyone's all like, everyone's done at least a joke that someone has laughed at at some point in their life. And that feeling of connection in a way that's not serious, there's a mockery to it, but there's also a respect of the world and the fact that we understand that we're living in realities, whereas people choose, uh, to escape them. And we, we are, I think we are that same. Like there's a level of just meeting another comedian and and understanding, Oh, you're a controlled crazy too. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. All right. I, I respect that. I respect that. I see it. Uh, but I, yeah, I love meeting, I love meeting comedians that are nothing like me or like have a totally different style. I don't even yeah. think of it as meeting comedians. I think it's just like other funny people. Mm-hmm. I just people who aren't comedians who have that look in their eyes that in that same sense of controlled mm. oh, okay. crazy too. Sure. Well, yeah, I guess I say in, in the sense that because I feel like I've, I've worked so hard to figure out uh-huh. what, what I like and what I think is to see someone else do something that makes me laugh. Uh-huh. You know, I, cause I think just being surprised at this point, like we just like being surprised. Yes. Um, and that to me is meaning like I consider you and me, we're like two totally different types of comedians. Right. Yeah. But it's really nice to see someone and just be like, Oh, I don't know why that's making me laugh. It's making me laugh. Damn it. There are other ways to be funny and nobody quote me. I think that's the best feeling. Yeah. When, I love it. When you laugh at somebody and you're not exactly sure why you're laughing. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's the, the best. best. Feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's, it's you're going back to your, your origins in a lot of ways. Cause that's why we got into comedy. We yeah. don't like, I don't know why I love this, but I, I love it. There's shit. Yeah. I like my earliest memories of laughing is, is there's stuff that's coming from some weird place that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And it's great. Yeah. It always, it, it comes from elsewhere. It's this weird place. Mm-hmm. It's out of, out of left field somewhere. Right. There's the world as you see it and have been led to understand it. And then suddenly yeah. here's something that comes out of some other weird place. And you're like, that's right. right delightful <laughs> of course things are much weirder than they look right yeah yeah yeah. yeah my probably my first memories of laughing are some probably physical bit something yeah. like slipping on a banana peel for 10 minutes love that 
uh, 10 minutes of slipping on the same banana peel. I, I very much like that. Uh, do the same thing for 10 minutes. I do too. I love it. I'll, I do it in every, any sketch I've written. There's a scene where it's someone, two people talk to each other for one minute and they just say the same thing. They're like, are you sure? I think so. You sure? I think, I think so. Repetition super funny. I think persistence is one of the major keys to comedy. Watching people be persistent. Right. Watching right. someone desperately try to get across the room and constantly slip on the same banana peel, but keep on trying, I think right. is the funniest fucking thing in the world. Yeah, and just committing to it. Oh, comedy, you guys. This is a great positive. This is a great, I agree, that was nice. Fucking yeah. A, it doesn't all have to be positive, you know what I mean? It's true, but it is nice to have these, uh, I think, darker conversations about it, because there's, there, there's just not enough. This, I mean, I try to talk about it with people, and people don't want to talk about race, people don't want to talk about as a society, how we're constantly feeding ourselves and overstuffing ourselves, which is images and light pollution. And it's really nice to have a frank conversation about it because I think that's how you, one, figure out what you're trying to say as a comedian what by better understanding what you think you're dealing with and just, you know, kind of talking to people, not just talking to a wall and seeing like you're just, you have more, there's just, you just have more to work with like that as opposed to just, being like, let's not talk about it. Let's not have these conversations. These are things that are happening and they're going to continue to happen. You know? This has been a very intense conversation and I really yes. appreciate it. Yes, I appreciate it. Are we going to shake hands? You yeah, think people we, will we see always, it? We, no one will we'll see We'll never it. know. You know something no one knows about this podcast? What? We always shake hands at the end. Really? Yeah. I like oh I like handshaking. You know what I really like a lot? <laughs> uh, uh, this. Just a head, oh, a head bow. That's good. I think a head bow is the most respectful salutation. Do you know what I do? I do this because of my dad. I shake hands like this, yeah. and then I put my left arm on their shoulder. Do they do that? Do they do it the as person well as normally is freaked out? They're just like, "Why are you touching me?" But oh, my dad does that. My dad, it's like a very. He's like, "So good to see you." And yeah. Like he does no, I love that. it's very. There's yeah. a, there's a sense of like intimate. There's strength and dignity to right. that. I like right, that. Right. Yeah, men tend to do that more. There's a lot more physical. They will approach you like that. They'll grab your arm. And there's like a dominance, not to, you know, get into another thing about gender, but that's no, like, I think that that is true. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and I think that there is, if I can general, generalize, there's, yeah, I, I have this and, yeah. and, and, you know, for sure. I, but I do, I think it's sweet. So I say that it's a, a thing that men tend to do, but I think my dad, it's a sweet intention. Sure. Right. Which again goes attention versus. Uh, I think when it, so much of it has to do with a person's attitude and you can feel a person's intention when mm -hmm. it's an aggressive thing or a dominance thing, mm -hmm. it's insulting. But when there's actually a sense of like mm -hmm. dignity and respect and, and like compatriotism or whatever. Right. It, what a beautiful gesture. Right. Yeah. As well as like, please just don't deport me. That's what, that's what that is. Marina Rusi, thank you for talking. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me, guys. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Feels weird to plug after this conversation, but oh yeah, <laughs> just everyone shut off your computers. Um, I have a what are we called? A comedy channel called Queso Digital. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, YouTube. It's hysterical. It's just like if you want to laugh nonstop, you watch this shit channel. <laughs> it's run by me and Anita Flo uh, Flores. Uh, yeah, we just, we try to promote, uh, just marginalized voices and people that just don't really get that much stage time. I mean, you know, there's just so many talented people in the world and we just want to show them off more. Okay. So check it out. Facebook, YouTube. Yeah. Or just talk to me in person. Or do that. That's basically all the jokes you're going to get in there. How can people find you? What is your phone number? Uh, it's two one two. No, that was my old number. Okay, oh, lucky uh, with the old fashioned two one two. Very true, Manhattan. Very nice. 
yeah, please come to my house in Queens. I live with my parents. It's going to be great. Great. Did I mention I'm a comedian? <laughs> cool. Thanks for talking, Lorena. Yeah, thanks. And thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you to our producer and engineer, Evan Ford Barden, our executive producer, Ed Herbstman, and everyone for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, you know what to do. Give us some kind of shout out on social media. I'm told it does something. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.